Hello, Filled with Messages friends. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Ruth Farrell, and amongst other things, I'm the lead pastor of St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich. Many of us who grew up in the 90s were told by trusted adults in our lives, teachers, pastors, parents, what today we'd call influencers, although we certainly did not call them that when I was a kid, that we needed to learn to be colorblind. We were going to be a generation which didn't see people and therefore judge them based on the color of their skin. Instead, we were going to see and judge people based on their heart and actions. The problem is colorblindness doesn't work. Colorblindness doesn't work because it leaves us without the language to discuss race and our own biases. Colorblindness doesn't work because it focuses on the individual and encourages us to ignore systemic racism. Colorblindness doesn't work because ignoring race doesn't work. Race is a reality, and a person's race affects their incomes, where they live, what opportunities they have, and so much more. I am trying to unlearn the lessons of colorblindness and learn how to be anti-racist. I am trying to dig out my biases and uncover the sin of racism in me. It's hard work. It's painful work. It's work that brings up shame in me, and the shame is justified because I have, and I know I continue to have, racist attitudes and beliefs. It's work that's scary because getting it wrong feels like it will make things even worse. It's work that I know I will need to engage in for the rest of my life, and that feels so heavy. But just because something is hard doesn't mean we don't do it. We can do hard things. And working to root out the racism that is inherent in us is one of the hard things which God calls us to do. Today's kid in the Bible had to unlearn the things the adults in his life taught him and his generation. He very suddenly and shockingly found out that some of the core ways he had been functioning in life were wrong. He decided to do the hard work of figuring out a new way, the righteous way, but it required some significant surgery. There are four whole chapters in the Bible dedicated to this kid's story. His name was Josiah, but I'm not going to read all of that aloud. You're welcome. Today's scripture text is just a snapshot of his life. Hear these words from 2 Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, our bodies to hear you speaking to us now. We long to hear your voice, to know your wisdom for our lives. Give us also the courage to follow. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first king of the Israelites was Saul. You may remember him and his successor, David, from a few podcasts ago. David's son was Solomon. Throughout these three kings' reigns, the Israelites were all united as one country. But because of some rather hideous choices, the Israelites then divided into two countries when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was king. 
most of the Israelites became one country, which scholars like to call the Northern Kingdom. Their capital was Samaria, and the Bible also refers to the Northern Kingdom just simply as Samaria. The rest of the Israelites became Judah and continued to have their capital in Jerusalem. Many, many years after the division of the Israelites, Josiah became king of Judah, that southern, smaller kingdom. Did you catch how old he was when this happened? Yeah, he was crowned king at the ripe old age of eight. Can you imagine being king of an admittedly small kingdom, but king at eight years old? What do normal eight-year-olds do? Learn how to add and subtract double-digit numbers, learn how to describe a basic story structure, play with Legos, maybe learn how to make their own bed? I'm not sure about that last one, but lead a kingdom is not anywhere on the list. Josiah was made king at eight because his father was assassinated at age 24 by his own officials. They staged a coup because he was behaving so abhorrently they felt like they had no other choice. He had learned to behave this way but from his own dad, whose name was Manasseh. Manasseh was incredibly violent. The authors of Second Kings tell us that he, quote, shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Even if there's hyperbole being employed, that image is nauseating and horrifying. Manasseh also decided he wasn't interested in following Yahweh, God's personal name. Instead, he intentionally destroyed places of worship, and he installed altars and objects of worship to other gods inside the temple, Yahweh's home here on earth. Together during this time, Manasseh and his subjects did more evil than any other nation before them. So if Manasseh was that bad and his subjects went along with him, imagine how bad his son, Josiah's dad, must have been for his people to decide they had to get rid of him. Somehow, or not told all the details, Josiah managed to buck this paternal pattern. I really want to believe it was his mom, her name was Jedediah, who influenced him for good. I have some reasons to guess this was true, but I can't be sure. For whatever reason, when Josiah was 16, he began to seek Yahweh. When did you start seeking God? I don't mean that in a Sunday school question sort of way. I ask that question for you to puzzle over. When did you really start seeking God? Wanting to know God deeply, truly, intimately. To be honest, I think God's, seeking God happens in layers, like a delicious laminated pastry. You know, uh, when you crack open a Danish, it looks like layer after layer. That's a laminated pastry. We see God through layer upon layer, going deeper and deeper, delighting more and more in God's buttery, sweet presence. Maybe God is calling you to a new level of seeking. Josiah started seeking God at 16, but when he was 20, he decided he needed to express his relationship with God in a new way. As the leader of God's people, he decided he needed to destroy the altars to other gods within the boundaries of his kingdom. Then, when he was 26, he decided he wanted to purify the temple. For Josiah and his subjects, the temple was the most sacred place on earth. Yet during his grandfather's and father's reigns, it was desecrated, treated with disdain. In many ways, it was destroyed. 
Josiah's relationship with God, his understanding of how horrible his father and grandfather had treated the temple, propelled him to set the temple back to rights. But it wasn't an easy task. Josiah put people, time, money, and great attention to detail into restoring the temple. While they were going about this business, they stumbled upon the Jewish people's most sacred texts. Let me make this a little clearer. Up to this point, Josiah was seeking God without scripture. Can you imagine trying to have a relationship with God without scripture? Obviously, he had the memories of others who were helping him, and he had his own relationship with God. But he was missing this vital key to God. When the scriptures were found, the book was brought into Josiah's presence, and one of his trusted advisors began reading to him. When Josiah heard the words, he tore his robes, and one of uh, and he tore his robes. You may remember that that's a sign of distress, grief, repentance. Josiah now knew not just through prayer, his own intuition, and the guidance of trustworthy advisors, that for years he and his people had not been acting rightly towards God. What would you do if you had been in Josiah's place? Would you have been as stunned and grieved as he was? Would you have said, oh, well, too late now? Would you have sprung into some sort of action? Josiah decided he needed help to figure out his next steps. So he had his advisors approach a prophet. Guess what? The prophet was a woman. Christians throughout the centuries have covered up the influence of women and women serving as the religious leaders of God's people. But when we go looking, they're right there. The prophet's name was Huldah. She had mixed news for Josiah. First, the bad news. The terrible choices Josiah's father and grandfather, along with their subjects, had made were going to have some significant and painful consequences in the coming years. Bad choices almost always have consequences. We all learned that by the time we were two. But Yahweh said to Josiah through Huldah, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before me, I have heard you. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that is coming. If you had been Josiah, what would you have done when you received this news? If you're a good leader, like Josiah seems to have been, I think it must have been a pretty difficult situation. Yes, relief for yourself, but likely also grief knowing your people would eventually suffer the consequences of your ancestors' actions. Josiah decided his clear option was to keep moving ahead, live in ways that honor God, follow the directions in the scriptures which had been uncovered in the temple. It might not change the future, but maybe it would. God had been known to change God's mind in the past. Perhaps it would happen again in the future. So Josiah called all his people together, and they committed themselves to following God. He finished cleaning up the temple and getting rid of the altars to other gods. Then he threw a big party, a Passover party. He gathered everyone together in Jerusalem, and together they remembered that God had brought his people out of slavery before, even when they doubted God's faithfulness to them. God had led the Israelites through the wilderness, even when they grumbled and complained and decided to put their faith in statues of golden cows instead of God. God had led them back to himself through Josiah's faith and finding the scripture when they were setting the temple to rights. Josiah and his subjects couldn't see the future, 
but they could see the past. They could see that even when they made horrible choices, when they sinned, God faithfully loved them. Yes, there were consequences, but there was also grace. There was no reason to believe that what that wouldn't happen again in the future. So Josiah and his subjects celebrated God's past faithfulness as a way of showing their trust in God's future faithfulness. Josiah wasn't perfect. He ended up dying in battle because he wouldn't listen to some news from God because it came from a very surprising source. Remember how Naaman had to struggle with that last week? But God doesn't need for us to be perfect. God knows that humans, even ones that are trying really hard to be in a loving, faithful relationship with God, sometimes make mistakes. So Josiah was taken back home on his chariot where he died and, just as the prophet Holda promised, was buried with his ancestors. The authors of Second Chronicles tell us all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. Josiah lived a privileged life. There's no doubt about that. He also experienced a fair share of trauma, the murder of his father and becoming king at age eight, just to name a few. Along with all that came the shame of knowing his father and grandfather had not been good people, let alone good leaders, let alone men after God's own heart. Yet something propelled Josiah to seek God as a child, and as this relationship with God got deeper and deeper, he uncovered some hard stuff. But he refused to let the hard stuff, the embarrassing stuff, the shame-filled stuff, stop him from connecting with God. Instead, he did the hard work of repenting of it. We're scared of that word, repentance. Some of us, because it's been used as a weapon against us. If that has been your experience, I hold you in my heart and I grieve with you. The word simply means to change direction, to make a 180. Making a big U-turn is hard work. It's often pretty scary work. But when we are confronted with a truth that demands we change, my prayer is that we would be willing to do the work knowing that God is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. What's the belief, the truth, the lesson taught to you by your ancestors that you need to let go of, that you need to take a 180 from, that you need to repent of so that you can move forward with God? Do you need to join me in undoing the fallacy of colorblindness? Or is there another lesson which you need to unlearn more? Whether we are 8 or 48 or 88, may we be open to change so that we ourselves, our communities around us, and this whole world can be a little more like heaven every day. As we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm honored that you've joined me today, my friends. As you go about the rest of your day, I pray God's blessing, God's wisdom, God's courage be yours today and always. Take good care.